We are starting a brand new series today called Unshakable. Last week, Pastor Jason kind of did the, the precursor. He did the intro to the series. We called it Pre-Shakable. You know, that's kind of how we, we, we did it. It was our little inside joke. But uh, we started the series today called Unshakable. And we're talking about really uh, the overarching theme of it is the kingdom of God. It's the idea that um, if you look all throughout the scriptures, the kingdom of God was a huge, huge central theme. But it's really central inside the New Testament. And so if you look at your Bible, your Bible is not a book. It's a series, a collection of books. And it's um, it written over hundreds of years and if you and by many many different authors but if you look at the series and the theme of how it all put together it's based on the kingdom of god you see it in the old testament you see it in the new testament and if you look at your bible it's broken up into the like two main parts you have an old testament you have a new testament and then um in the new testament it it really really becomes central and really becomes uh very very clear on exactly what god's trying to do when it comes to the kingdom of god so i would highly encourage you if you ever did like a, a word study or a subject study go to the kingdom of god and learn about it and that's what we're going to be doing over the next six to seven to eight weeks and so we're going to walk through that and figure out where we're going to be. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Um, but I wanted to give you some context real quick before we get into that. Hebrews chapter 12 is kind of our key verse for the series. Um, really, we're going to read it every week because it's kind of our central key verse before we get into Matthew, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And it's really a warning in, in regards to certain kingdoms. And, and Hebrews, the writer of and the author of Hebrews chapter 12 kind of gives us the difference between two, and I'll show it to you. Um, Hebrews 12.28 is our key verse, but let's read 12.27 to understand why he even says therefore, because therefore means there was something before. And here's what was before. It says, this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that the only the unshakable things, everybody say unshakable, only the unshakable things will remain. He's talking about people who live outside the kingdom of God. And when we say kingdom of God, we mean a way of thinking, a way of living. We don't mean just heaven one day somewhere. We mean like you can have some heaven right now. And so he's saying there are people who don't do things godly ways. He does, there's people who live their lives without the kingdom. Their lives and their world's going to be shaken. But then he gets into Hebrews 12, 28 and it says, therefore, if I say therefore, it's good. As he said, okay, so the the world that you live in is going to get shaken, but but since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe that God's kingdom never shakes, and that gives us an ability to be grateful. And so Pastor Jason talked about that, kind of set it up last week. But I asked the the question you should ask yourself is, why does that matter to me? Why does the kingdom of God matter to you? Why why like Practically, why would that even be a thing? Why would why would living God's way? Why would doing God God's you know living the way that He chooses to ask us to live or thinking the way He wants us to think? Why would any of that stuff matter? We're gonna find out. And Jesus just gives us really great application in Matthew chapter six. So Matthew is a gospel. If you start uh, the New Testament starts Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew is a gospel. It's a telling of the life of Jesus, and so Matthew writes about. Jesus's life and he, he walks this moment in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is now teaching and he's talking to his disciples and he's teaching about this interesting thing called anxiety and worry which I don't know about you but I struggle with and he says this moment he has this moment with his disciples that are really close to him and he starts teaching on on different things. And before Matthew 6, 25, he talks about this idea that you can't serve two masters. Again, the central theme in all the scriptures, especially when it comes to Jesus, he's juxtaposing different things like the kingdom of God and, 
and the kingdom of the world. And he says, you can't serve two masters. And he gets into verse 25 and he says this, that is why, because again, he's referencing back to you cannot serve two masters. I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. Everybody say, look at the birds. This is interesting to me. He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries <clears throat> add a single moment to your life? I mean, like, is there more relevant scripture in all the Bible right now than that? Where Jesus is addressing anxiety and worry. And he jumps to verse 30 and he says, And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat or drink or wear? These things dominate, these thoughts dominate, these feelings dominate, these worries dominate, these anxieties dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has its own worries. Come on, somebody. How many of y'all know that's true? You thought you had a bad today, and then tomorrow seems to get worse. He says, today's trouble is enough for today. Jesus is speaking about worry and anxiety. And uh, if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Bird Watching. The title of my message is Bird Watching. So if with that as our backdrop, let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. I know that. These days are complicated. Um, we, we live in a, a, shake, a shaken world. And there are many things, God, that, that come against us. I, I really believe that the message today will, will, will help us be better. And, and I know I've pre- created notes to preach, but, but I'm really praying, Lord, that you would you would come and do what only you can do. And that you, your Holy Spirit would move through this message. Give us something that would just change us and make us better. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, amen, amen, amen. Um, I love to, um, I love to shop. One of the things that, one of my favorite things in all the world is to go to clothing stores. Anybody like that? Anybody other than me just like to kind of go like, well, you know, what's funny is that I could go to the mall and start at one end of the mall and go to every store and try things on and come all the way back around. And you know, most people would be like, I'm just ready to go home. I could do it all over again. That saying, I can, I can do rounds at the mall. I have so much. There's so much fun to me. It's life giving. I like to try on shirts and jackets and pants and stuff. And so sometimes I'll go by myself because my wife doesn't like going that long. And so um, I'll, I'll go and, and we'll hang out. But sometimes she'll stay with me. And and one recent time we, we went to the store and I I went um, and tried on a, a it was a really cool shirt. And guys, y'all know what I'm talking about. Like it's really great when you look in the mirror. And sometimes I feel like the mirror at the store is different than the mirror at my house. And I don't know if it's skinny mirrors or something they do with it, but I, I always don't always get the right perspective. And so what I'll do is I have a flow, okay? And, and yes, it is true. There's a rumor going around. Yes, I love Nordstrom and I have people there. It's great. So anyway, I walk in there. And so I go into the, the fitting room and, and I'll put on the shirt. I'll look at it. I'm like, okay, I get my approval. And then I'll walk out and I look for my wife because I want to see what she has to say. I want a second opinion about how I look. 
And so I, I tried on this jacket one time. It was really, man, it's just like when I put it on. Has anybody ever put on something where you're like, this is just made for me, right? Like I felt like it was made for me. It liked the colors. It, it helped my, I felt like my physique was right. My arms were looking good. It made me look like I was, you know, like chiseled and, and I'm like ready to go. And so I get, I'm like really excited, really excited. Walk out to this from the fitting room and I look at my wife and she's sitting down, she's on her phone and I say, hey babe, I want you to look at this and, and, and she was distracted. She was distracted. She was doing something on her phone, probably something to do with my children and so she's on the phone, she's trying to figure something out and I was like, babe, I really want you to look at it because I love this jacket. She goes, she, she does this, she does this thing. Ladies, you kind of do this thing to us. And I, I'm trying to, please don't do this to us because it doesn't make us feel good. So she's like this, she goes, oh, it looks great. That's what she does. <laughs> And I said, wait, no, no, can you put your phone down? I really want you to look at this because this is like really important to me. It's like, I like love this jacket. And she goes, so she, she, so she does this. She goes, she goes, okay, what? And I said, what do you think? You know, you, you guys, you do the post. And she goes, she does, and I'll never forget it. She, I, I go, what do you think? And she goes, she goes, no, it looks really good. And I go, I go, but like, Tell me what you mean, okay? <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm complicated, right? I'm just, I'm complicated. I, I, I have issues. So I'm like, tell me what you mean. Like, does it like help my shoulders? Like, can you see my belly? Like, I have love handles. Can you help me with that? Like, like does this jacket fit me right? And she goes, no, it looks really good. And I said, wait, wait, do that again. What? And she goes, it makes you look really, really. Everybody do this with me because I want to teach you a lesson. Everybody get your hands out. Come on, we're going to have participatory church in here. Hands out like this. I want you all to start up here. Come on, like this. And we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to circle the belly is what I call it. Circle the belly. Let me just tell you what, when you do this, okay, this does not mean you look good. Ripped that jacket off, threw it in the trash. I left. I was like, that's not, never bought it because she told me I look like this. Isn't it interesting how sometimes your words, right, and your actions communicate things that you didn't mean? And I read something in the Bible recently. Jesus was weird. Like, I don't know about you, but the Jesus that I grew up with, like, well, I was told about, you know, I went to the Bible bookstores. They don't exist anymore. Amazon kicked them all out. But, like, when you went to the Bible bookstore, you ever saw all the pictures of Jesus? He was always carrying a child. He always had a lamb on him. He always had blonde hair, blue-eyed. I'm like, how can he be blonde-haired and blue-eyed? Jewish person in the first century, but okay, he's blonde-haired, blue-eyed. He always had Birkenstocks on, right? He was sponsored by Birkenstock, and, and like, he was wearing a dress. And I always thought, and he always was saying good things and always encouraged people. And then I read something in here that kind of offended me because I don't know about you, but I struggle with anxiety and worry. I don't know if you do or if you don't, but I do. Your pastor does. Like I have it online. Like if you think you worry, I can beat you in your worries. I can beat you in your anxieties. And so I have a struggle with this. So I'm reading every verse in the Bible about anxiety and worry. And I go to my Jesus, my Savior, my, the come on, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, the man who is the man of the hour. And I read what he says about anxiety. And I look at it and I get to verse 26 and he says, Aaron, look at the birds. And I'm like, well, that sounds kind of mean. Right? Like if you were to walk up to me and say, Pastor, I want you to know something. I'm about to lose my stinking mind. I'm losing it. I just lost my job. My wife's threatened to leave me and I'm, I'm going to lose it. And what if I was to tell you, hey, <laughs> have you checked out the Eagles lately? 
Look at them birds. And you would think, right, like Jesus is going full on like, it's not that big. Come on, how many of y'all have been in a fight recently with your marriage and your wife was telling you something and you said to her, eh, it's not that big of a deal. How'd that go over? <laughs> right? You would think Jesus is saying to you and I, like, well, yeah, I know you're worried, but don't worry about it. Right? I mean, that's what he says. Ah, eh, don't worry about it. I know you're, not to worry about their life and what you drink and what you eat. And It seems like Jesus is being flippant with the situation, but he's really not. What he's trying to do is mention to you and I that like, because when I heard that feed the birds, I'm like, well, birds don't have to get a job. Birds don't have to live with a woman. All right, ladies, birds don't have to live with a man. You're welcome. Birds don't have to deal with kids. Birds don't have to go to a job where your boss don't appreciate you. Birds don't have to drive on 1604. Birds don't got my neighbors, right? Like, but what Jesus was saying was, he goes, no, 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 you're, you're missing it. I care about them. And I take care of them. And, I, 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 and they're just birds. You were made in my image. And so because you were made in my image, I care about you. He was saying... It's not that I don't care. I'm showing you actually that I care more than you think I care. And because I care more than you, you think I care, you need to know I want to help you with this thing called worry. Because worry's not a new thing. Like worry's been around since the Bible started. And what I ever found like when you read the Bible, you think the Bible's written with a bunch of characters who are like super Jesus characters, right? Like super Christians who never got anything wrong. If you ever talk to anybody and they say something like, well, the Bible ain't real because everybody in the Bible is like a super Christian. They never read it. They never read it. Every major Bible character that you celebrate and you put on your wall and you put on a tattoo on your arm had an issue with worry. Adam and Eve worried about how God would respond to them after their sin. Yeah. Noah worried about what his neighbors thought about it when he'd been making some big old boat for about 100 years up in his neighborhood and people talking about like, hey, why are you making that big old boat, Noah? And he's like, well, this stuff's going to happen like rain. They had never seen no rain before. And he's worried how they're going to take it. Abraham worried about not having a son. Isaac worried about not finding a wife. Jacob worried about his dad's approval. Moses worried about no one would listen to him because he didn't even know how to speak. David worried about his enemies in the half of the Psalms. And Elijah worried that he was the only prophet left. Let me just tell you, everybody in the Bible struggled with worry. Even if you don't have like anxiety issues like I do, you still struggle with worry. And Jesus is saying, why would you worry? Look at the birds. And I'm like, man... I don't think he's at times paying attention, but he was, he was telling you, you're really important. We got a lot to worry about. I, I have a lot to worry about. You want me to remind you all the worries you got? I mean, like we worry about our, this is my issue. I have a high desire to control my life. Anybody else? I love it when I'm in control. 
Come on, somebody. Come on, my control people. There we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, I don't like, I'm not doing that. I'll control my hand. I'm not making my hand go up. That's how much control you got. You got issues. Like, I know, I'll, I'll control. I'll put my hand up when I want. I control that. We got an enemy who feeds us lies and deceit all the time. Come on, we got some, some like major marriage problems. There ain't nothing harder in the world than put one person together with another person together and have them live together forever <laughs> and make sure things are going good. The only, marriage is the only thing where you think like, hey, it's not going good. Let's get together and get married and then maybe you'll make it better. Some of us, we get worried about the stuff we can't control, we can't protect, or I'm worried so much about our kids. Some of us in here are so stressed out about our kids. Isn't it? It's funny. I read a statistic. Our kids are more safe than ever, but they have the most anxiety than ever. And our parents have more anxiety than ever. Maybe it's about your career. Or maybe it's about your health. We're over-informed. We're constantly on, and we're ostracized. And every, you were not meant to know everything that everybody knows about you, yeah. says about you. You know that, right? Like, your brain can't comprehend that. There were a day where, like, if I went to school, I went, when I went to school and I got into a fight or I said something to somebody's face, I didn't know about what they were saying to me online. I left it at school. Our kids have to go to school, and school, this is the only generation where school follows them home, where their friends follow them home, where they're bullied not just at school, but they're bullied nonstop at home. So there's like a high level of anxiety and worry, and the question that always comes up is, what do you do with it? Like, well, thanks, Pastor. You stressed us out. <laughs> you told us Jesus told us to look at the birds, and now you stressed us out. What do you do with it? Like, what do you do with worry? I'm going to give you three thoughts today. Um, and, and look, I'm, I'm by no means a, a, an expert on worry or anxiety, but I do believe Jesus has something to say about it. And I do believe that the Bible has a lot to do and a lot to say about anxiety and worry. So if you stress, if you struggle with that in here, I really want you to lock in. If you don't struggle with that, um, my prayer is that you would lock in for the sake of having something to, you should have a backup plan just in case it shows up on your doorstep one day. Um, because I'll tell you this, I did not struggle with anxiety or worry until I planted this church. Take that for what it's worth. Um, and uh, so my hope would be that you would get something from this today. Three thoughts on how to overcome worry. Number one, number one is this. Um, if you're going to overcome worry, you got to focus on the goodness of God instead of the bad things that could happen. Now, I know that, like, that sounds great at church. But when you're in the moment, it's really hard to focus on the goodness of God. It's really easy to focus on everything that could happen. I'm an expert at creating every scenario that could possibly happen that could kill me. Just an expert at it. Like I know, like if somebody ever comes into my office or I have a conversation with them about counsel, like, and they give me the scenario of what has just happened, and then they'll spend like the next 30 minutes giving me one or two scenarios of what could possibly happen. I have 58 of them in my head. You, and I, I almost want to say, you think that's bad? I could really tell you what could really happen because I'm really good at focusing all the, on all the bad things that could happen. And when you focus on just the bad things that could happen, 
what happens is it's almost like being in a boat without an anchor. That when anything that comes up against you, any wind or waves, any issues that show up, anything that pops up on your feed, anything that your wife brings to you or your husband brings to you, anything that happens with your kids, any stuff that happens with your finances or your job or your health or you get a bad diagnosis, the moment something happens, you are pushed all over the place because you have nothing to anchor you into. Um, I want you to know this. Yes, I shop, but your boy knows how to go into the nature world. I'm a fisherman, like a legitimate fisherman. I have been fishing, and I know you don't believe me, so I brought a picture to prove it. Let me show you this. I bought, I caught, I didn't buy that fish. I caught that fish, okay? So look, okay, now leave it up because some of y'all been judging me since I told you about Nordstrom. I've been into the wild, okay? I've been in nature. Yes, I was with a guide. Don't judge me. But I went to Montana and I was on the Bighorn River. And if you've ever been fly fishing on the Bighorn River, it'll change your life. I mean, like it literally changed my life. I'm like, this is the most amazing thing. I'm like, God, there has to be... It's amazing to me to look at something like creation and not think there's a God. Because like, if you just really pay attention, I'm like, this is amazing. So I'm sitting in the Bighorn River, and this guide walks up, and he goes, you ready to fish? I'm like, what's it look like? I bought all my stuff, went to Bass Pro. Let's do this. Let's go. Went shopping. I was there for three days. Let's make it happen. So we get in the boat, and we start, he starts uh, paddling to where we're going to get to, and he teaches us how to fly fish, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to got this. And we get to our area where we're supposed to fly fish, but the river's moving so fast that he can't keep up with keeping us in the spot. So instead of trying harder in the moment to keep us in the area, you know what he does? Genius. He pulls out this weight called an anchor and he tosses it in the river. And I know this sounds crazy, but the anchor keeps us from moving places. And what was so crazy is the moment he threw the anchor in, he just chilled. And I was thinking about that because I was like, man, you know what's, what's crazy? I try really hard with my anxiety. I try really hard with my worry. Some of y'all try really hard, like, oh, just stop worrying about it. Like, I can just think about something else. Like, I'm going to pretend like it's not there, and I can paddle really, really hard. Or I could toss an anchor into the ground and be secured to something and know I'm not going to move no matter how hard that water pushes on me. And some of us, I'm just telling you, some of us need to anchor ourselves into the goodness of God. And the only way we can anchor ourselves into the goodness of God is through his presence. It's through daily, active, intentional time with God. Why? Because his presence changes things. I'm not telling you to try harder to be a Christian. Some of y'all heard me in a religious way. You said, well, pastor just told us to read the Bible more and pray and go to church. Because, you know, he wants us to go to church because he's the pastor. No, I'm telling you to have a daily, intentional, focused time with the presence of God. So that when, when the wind comes, when the river comes, when you get to... Has anybody ever gotten to a, this happens to me a lot in my life, where have you ever gotten to a spot where things calmed for just a minute, right? Come on, like, you, and you took a breath and then you said those faithful last words, I 
feel like everything is really good. And then what happened? Boom! Something happened. So it's not if something's going to happen. It's when something's going to happen. And the only people who don't move are the people who are anchored, come on, to something stronger than the thing that hits you. And you got to get anchored in the presence of the Holy Spirit because his presence changes things. When I was a kid, my mom and dad used to love telling me to take the trash to the street. And the trash can was always on the side of the house where there was no light. And it was tucked back behind the fence. And they would always ask me. I never got into my head that I could do it before the nighttime, before they asked me. My kids don't know that either. They have not figured it out. I'm like, I ask you to do this every week at the same time. Every, you know you can do it before I ask you. But they haven't figured that out. That's free for you teenagers. So anyway, I forgot every week conveniently amnesia. Take the trash can to the street. So we'd be out. It'd be like 9 o'clock, about to go to bed. Guess what dad would say? It's time for you to take that trash can down to the street. And I'm like, oh, so I get my shoes on, and then I'd walk to the door, and then I'd get to the door, and I'd do this. Because it was dark. Come on, everybody, just do that with me. Lean out there. One, two, three. Just lean. Yeah, I lean out, and I'm like, I'm, like, I'm trying to see if there's demons. Because I, I feel like I could see the demons. I'm like, somebody's out there going to jack me. So I'm like, look out. And then I'd, and then I just over, Right? Right? You got to overcome your... Come on, how many of y'all did that when you were a kid, right? You had to go somewhere dark. It's dark. It's pitch black. And I'm like... <laughs> and I'd run out, grab the trash can, and I'd run down to the street, and I'd go back in the thing, and I'd run down the house, and I'd be like... <sighs> it didn't get me this time. <sighs> it didn't get me. But then, every so often, I get my stuff on. I open the door. And I'd be standing at the door going. And then dad would just walk by me. And he'd walk by me. He was getting like a tool or something. And he just wasn't afraid. And the moment dad walked out, I went from to like, Yeah. So dad would be out there in the dark, no light. I'm like, dad, can we put a light back here? He's like, no, nah, it's going to call the electric bill, go higher. We turn them lights off. You know, that's how you, and, but dad was out there and I walk out with my dad. Like, where you at? I was wanting the demons to come out then. I'm like, where you at? I'm here. What's up, Satan? Nobody. All right, I'll take the trash. I'll be back here tomorrow. It was still dark. The demons were still there in my mind. What was the difference? Hey, dad was there. And when dad was there, it was like, oh, let's go. Let's go. Because his presence, his presence changed things. His presence did something didn't change the circumstances. Who did it change? It changed me. And so safety for us, dealing with worry for us, 
it doesn't, it doesn't come from the absence of our problems. It comes from the presence of a higher authority. And Jesus knew this and did this often. Luke 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus, Jesus is God on earth. And if Jesus needed to go often to go pray and get connected with the presence of God and get anchored into the presence of God and get anchored into somebody who had a higher authority, who had the ability to walk out into the darkness and handle anything that was coming my way. I gotta get connected to him. I gotta get presence with him. I got to get in, into his authority because if Jesus is modeling it and I'm a follower of Jesus, then I got to do what Jesus modeled. He showed us that prayer was not a last resort, that it was a first response and that my connection with Jesus is the only way I'm going to actually deal with this thing called worry. So the question you have to ask yourself is what's your first response to a worry? What's your first response to an anxiety when your business has an issue? when your career has an issue, when your child has an issue, is when your health has an issue. When you get sick, is your first response to WebMD? Because by the way, if you get a hangnail and you put that up in WebMD, you have cancer and you're dying in two weeks. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Isn't it interesting how every ailment you have, when you search it on the internet, you're going to die? How does that help your body? How does that help your mind? I'm not, I'm for medicine. I love me some, I love the doctor. There are, there are appropriate times for the medicine in the medical community, but that ain't my first response, y'all. Come on, we gotta have something other than irrational behavior or anger or paranoia or research on WebMD when something bad happens. My encouragement, maybe you try prayer because Matthew chapter 6 verse 10 in that same area he says your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is there's that kingdom word in me God I'm about your kingdom your people in your kingdom they focus on the goodness of God more than all the stuff that could happen number 2 number 2 we crowd out the worry with gratitude Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippians uh, Philippi it's like a Philippians church Really good letter, um, but he, he mentions something that is like maybe the most irritating thing in the Bible. I'm just being real. Because again, I struggle with anxiety. So I know every anxiety verse, just so y'all know. I know them all. I actually have them up on my verse, on my window. If you look at my mirror in my, my bathroom, I have them on sticky notes. Because while I'm brushing my teeth, I need to remind myself I'm not alone. I focus the presence of the God. God, you're alone. Oh. I can get stressed out about brushing my teeth. Anything. It doesn't matter. Philippians chapter 4, he says this. Says, Don't be anxious about anything. Thank you, Paul. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, be thankful. What? And present your requests to God. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The only way to crowd out worry is to input gratitude. And I'm not saying to be thankful for your situation. I'm saying be thankful in your situation. Let's say you lose your job. Let's be practical here. Let's say you lose your job. I'm not saying be, be thankful that you lost your job. Like there's sects of Christianity that, that teach that. Like you got sick? Well, just thank God for your sickness. You're making my life harder as a pastor because you didn't read your Bible. He didn't say be thankful for your sickness. He said, he said be thankful in your sickness. There's a long difference between the two. And I can recognize that I'm in a situation that I would prefer not to be in, but I can still be grateful. 
I could still find ways to be thankful. And it's not some weird self-help, pseudo-religious idea to be thankful in a situation. No, even science is catching up to this, to where you learning how to be grateful in a moment where you shouldn't be grateful actually rewires your brain to handle the situation that you're actually in. We've got to crowd it out with being thankful in those moments. I know sometimes when situations, you might be in something right now. There's, I think we often see situations, right, like as the thing that's going to kill us. I often think that God sees our problems as time with us. The, the, the most beautiful times I've ever had with the Lord were at my toughest moments. Can anybody relate to that? I heard the voice of the Lord clearest when I felt like I was not going to make it the most. I planted the church. I shouldn't say I planted the church. My wife planted the church and she let me come along. 2017. We moved from St. Louis to Texas. I'm not from Texas, but I tell people I am now. They'd be asking where I'm from, Jose. They'd be like, where are you from? Like Texas? God's country. It's amazing. And uh, we came here in 2017. And, like I'd always been the life of the party my whole life. My high eye personality, seven Enneagram. Like some of y'all don't know any of that means. Just know I love to be around people. Love people. People give me life. I'm an extrovert. Love to be around, partying, hanging out, loving people. Love it. It's like, well, you should be a pastor. I'm like, thanks. Love it. We moved here. And the moment, it was the weirdest thing. The moment we drived into the driveway, I went into a six and a half month long depression. I had no reason to be in, like there was nothing wrong. Kids were fine, wife was good, marriage was fine, had money, things were fine. And I went in and the moment we pulled into the driveway, boom, the spirit of depression came over my life. So bad that I needed professional counseling. So bad that I could not get out of bed. So bad that I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat. So bad that I, I struggled with relationships. So bad that I was afraid of people. So bad that I could not communicate with my children. So bad that I was hearing voices. So bad that I was in paranoia. I'd be standing at a window. Yes, my wife. I'd be standing at a window, looking out the house, wondering if imaginary dogs were going to come kill me. I never struggled with that in my entire life. I remember my first birthday here in Texas. Uh, I had to plant a church. So we met two people. I'm like, great. They joined the team. And one of them people decided to take me golfing. And I wasn't golfing at the time, so I didn't know how to golf. But they're like, hey, we want to get you out. Because they kind of knew I looked like something was wrong. And I'm like, all right. So my birthday, they come to my house for my birthday and pick me up. And we go and we golf and my wife told me, she said, hey, I'm going to throw you a party. Is that okay? And I want to throw a party with some of the people that are local, some neighbors, some people, and we just want to celebrate you because I know who you are. And my wife's so encouraging. She goes, I know who you are. This is not who you are. We're going to have some people come over. Is that okay? And I was like, no. And she goes, that's cool. Okay, well, I'm going to do it anyway. You have a good time at golf. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Be careful marrying a Mexican woman. She'd be doing what she wants. So anyway. 
Um, they should come with a disclaimer. Never mind. And so, anyway, uh, so she, she got to throw a party. And so I come back from golf. I'm sitting in the driveway. And, um, like, uh, yeah. Um, couldn't, uh, so couldn't get out, right? Couldn't get out. Uh, but psych myself up, I get to the door and I'm peeking into my own house. So I'm talking to some people who who notice like to worry irrationally. So So I go in, and I remember my wife, she goes, she grabs my hand, she goes, it's okay, it's okay. I got to the, the, the party, and at the end, I'm, I'm sitting in my room, and I'm, I'm at the end of my bed, and I'm just so frustrated, you know, because I'm like, I'm not, that's not who I am. And so I'm sitting there, and my wife, and she goes, she goes, this is okay. She goes, we're just going to be grateful. We're just going to be grateful in this moment. And I don't know, like something about being thankful for, and I just started to listen to the things I was saying, like, thank God I have a wife. And, you know, thank God I have people that came over. Like, thank God I had a birthday. Like, thank God, I, you know. And, and so I wasn't thankful for my worry, but like there's something about being thankful in those moments that are so, so important that, that, that will help you get to the next step. Yes. And um, learning how to speak it, learning how to say it, learning how to appreciate it, I gotta be thankful in those moments. Last one, last one is this, and I'm done. I'm done. Um, number three, we align our attitude and our speech with the word of God. We, we align our attitude and our speech with the word of God. Now, now here, here, here's, here's what's important. Okay, so um, it is funny story. Okay, I, I started driving when I was 14. I know it sounds crazy. Albuquerque, New Mexico, their laws were ridiculous, it is what it is. I got my full license when I was 14 years old. So I was driving my car, and I had this little tiny 86 Honda CRX hatchback. It was like half of a car. I wish I was a car car. Like, it was a tiny little matchbox car, right? And I drove it, and it was awesome. It was a little stick shift, and, and, uh, and you know, you had to roll down the windows, you know, like that. And it was awesome. I loved it. And so um, some of y'all teenagers are like, what is this? <laughs> some of the best cars still today are when you go like this. Come on now, right? Y'all know. And so... Um, so I was driving my sister and it was raining. Car doesn't weigh very much. And so I'm a teenager, teenage 14 year old boy with a car and it's raining and there's puddles and there's people walking on the sideline. That's the formula. So I'm sitting with my sister and my sister's sitting in the car with me and I'm like, we're going to splash that person right there. So I get my car really close to the thing. We're driving. We're getting really close to the thing. My car's so light that instead of me splashing Instead of me taking out the puddle, the puddle took out my car. So like the puddle yanked my car into the sidewalk. So like the person's right here, I'm like, and like right in front of the person too. And the person's like, what the heck was going on? I'm like, my bad. And so I kept driving and I started driving like this. And, um, Come to find out, I knocked my car out of alignment. Because when you slam into a curb like that, you knock your car out of alignment. 
And so I took it to the shop and he said, well, listen, you're going to have to fix that. Otherwise, you're, 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 it's going to be harder to turn your car. It's going to um, be like really, really shaky. It's going to be eventually dangerous to drive. And if your life is out of sync and out of alignment with the word of God, you're, you're asking for it. That's the, some of y'all have chosen to live a life out of alignment. So it feels really shaky right now. And it feels like you can't turn or make a decision. And it feels like, hey, man, this could be, you live a very, very dangerous life. Why? Because I'm out of alignment with the word of God. It's important because what happens in anxiety, in fact, if you look, you can look at this, this is science. They're learning from the Bible now. It's like the Bible already told you this, but there's a, there's an anxiety cycle. I'm gonna put it up for you. It's important. Let's say something happens to you, right? You get triggered. Doesn't matter what it is. You lose a job. You see something. Uh, somebody says something to you, whatever, right? You get triggered. Something causes you to move into anxiety and worry. The funny thing about life, this will probably never go away. God doesn't remove these things. This is, he'd remove you from life if that was the way that it was. It's, it's not if you actually get anxiety or get worry. You're not going to remove it. You're not going to get rid of anxiety or worry. Just so you know, that doesn't work. That's not how it works. Like the... I've had to learn this statement. The Lord is good enough to leave worry in your life. You're not going to get rid of it. But there's a difference between having worry and worry having you. And so what often happens in the world, this is what the world does. So you get anxiety and worry, and then you move to short-term relief. You move to alcohol. You move to drugs. You move to pornography. You move to friends. You move to shopping more than you should. You move to whatever, right? You do something to fix it, but it doesn't really fix it. The problem is, is that does bring a dopamine hit, but it doesn't fix your anxiety. It actually leads to more anxiety because you didn't confront it. And because you didn't confront your anxiety, it grows and it starts again because it brings another one that goes around. And you go around and around. And I've been on that train for a long time. Problem is, what you need to do is actually put something in between short-term relief and anxiety. Once your anxiety hits, you got to have something here. Or you just keep going around in the cycle. And can I submit to you today? It should be this. It should be. You're a follower of Jesus, which means we follow the way that Jesus taught this word. Jesus taught this Bible. Jesus interpreted this Bible. Jesus had a yoke for this Bible. It was his teachings that, that breaks the bondage of sin, death, hell, and the grave. So my, my, my submission to you would be the moment you feel worry and anxiety, your first response needs to be speaking the word. So, so Hebrews 4.12, let me read you Hebrews 4.12 because some of you might've heard it, especially if you've been around church for a long time. Let me just help you with your theology a little bit. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God, the word of God, the word of God is alive and it's active. Here's what that means. Alive and active are not the same thing in Greek. They're not the same thing. The Hebrew and Greek words for those, the way that Hebrew people would have heard that is that the word of God is both alive, which is on God which means God brought his word into the world and he made it alive. Go read John 1. That's, go read John 1, 1. God brought the word into the world. He made it alive. He made it alive. But you and I, we make it active. 
That's how they always thought of it. They always thought of it as like, wait a minute, God made it alive, so now it's on God to make it alive. But for me, I gotta make it alive and active in me. So I have to be able to speak it into every moment and speak it into every situation. Here's why. They show you that in Hebrew. The writer of Hebrews writes it. He says, sharper than any double-edged sword. Do you know what double-edged actually means there in the Greek? It means dystomos. It means to be double-mouthed. So it meant it was meant to be spoken by God to be alive, but it meant to be spoken by us to be active. You got to learn and I got to learn to speak our word into existence. God spoke his word into existence, but we speak words, his word into our existence. So you need to learn to speak the words. And this was hijacked by the word of faith movement. Let me just tell you, I know about it. Because I come from that background in that world. Word of Faith Movement told us, they said, hey, if you just tell God something, you speak the word over God, he got to do whatever you say. That's unbiblical and not good theology. Because if you can tell God to do anything, he don't be God. God can do what he wants. God is God all unto himself. We serve God. We serve in his kingdom. We, he ain't a part of our kingdom. So they perverted the word of God, but they took a principle that's still good. Which means if you go through something, speak the word of God over your life. And so some of us don't know how to do that. Come, y'all come from backgrounds, you'll be like, well, I came from a background religion. We don't say no. We don't even know the Bible. You should know the Bible. I'm, I, I cheat. I have them on my phone. So I'm like, I know like sometimes you'll be like, well, memorize the word. Like, okay, good. You should memorize the word, but you barely know your kid's name. So put it on your phone. Tie it up, like write it on a sticky. I got sticky notes on my, my window. I'm like, put them everywhere. Put them in your car. Put them on, in your phone. Put them on your, your body. I mean, I don't care. Do whatever you need to do so that when the situation comes up, you speak the word. You speak the word. You got to be able to say it. This ain't a Pentecostal thing. This is a Christian Christ-like Christ follower thing. What happened when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? What did he do? Did he go, I don't know. Let's just go to church and find out how to fix this, Satan. You know, I got to figure this out. What did he do? He came at Satan with the word. He did, did he think it? He spoke it. He said, it says in the word. So let me just speak some word over you. If you got anxiety up in here, you got some worry up in here. Come on. I just told you, your pastor got issues. So if you got issues with that, I'm going to speak. Let's just speak the word. Let's just speak it. Y'all ready? Let's just speak. If this, if this speaks to you, speak the word. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit of fear, not a power, uh, not, a, not a fear, but a power and of love and of self-control. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 28.7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. John 16.33, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. If you need peace, speak the word. Mark 11, 24, therefore I tell you whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord. We sang about it today. Where do you think they got that song from? You think some crazy songwriter just wrote it like, oh, I just got it in my spirit. No, it's the Bible. 
We speak the word. I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with joy, peace, and believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Uh, come on, Philippians 4, 13, fear not for I am with you, for I not be dismayed, for I am for your God, and I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and courageous in the Lord. Come on, somebody in here needs to hear and speak the word. Uh, Isaiah 40, 31, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Look, I'm really good at making everything relevant, but at the end of the day, we got to speak the word. You got to speak the word. Don't give up on speaking the word. Don't let a denomination ruin you speaking the word. Don't let ignorance ruin you speaking the word. Don't let anxiety ruin you speaking the word. You got to be able to speak the word. You know what? Um, this might be weird to you, but like, you know where speaking in tongues really came from? It was the idea that when you run out of things to say, you can still speak the word. And so I'm not saying be weird and I'm not saying it's a gift and not everybody has the gift. It's not a primary, it's a gift. But if you got the gift, you should be speaking the word over your life. When I was laying in bed and I ran out of things to say, I was speaking the word. And some of us would be like, well, you know, I tried that. Try it again. Come on, we got to get some encouragement. Try it again. You're going to get past this thing. Try it again. Speak the word. It's alive and it's active. But it's only alive and active if you make it that way. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you, Lord. I thank you, God, that, um, God, there are real problems in this world. There are real people who struggle with real anxiety, real fear, real worry. This is not a sermon that's going to magically fix everything. But I pray that somebody in here got a peace of your peace today. That we would start training ourselves with better habits to respond better in those moments. We gotta speak the word. We gotta speak the word. Help us to have the word in our hearts to speak it. In Jesus' name.